So we took ads off of STS a while ago, and I've actually been thinking about this. You're probably not putting them back on. <laughs> no, I was thinking about like just like demonetizing the channel in general because it is. So if we do that, we run the risk of if a video actually picks up and does like crazy well. Say we mentioned store, you know, in a title, and it picks up, and we get almost like a million views or something, you know, that's that's potentially, I don't know what a million views gets you, maybe like a couple thousand bucks in, in revenue that we'd be missing out on. But for us right now, like the goal for the, the channel isn't to directly make money off of the channel. It's to kind of, I guess, promote ourselves, promote origins and some of the things that go on on at the gym and to well provide value we become experts in, in a couple different areas so I think there's some value that we could provide other people who are trying to get into that and then also we just are gonna have these conversations anyway so yeah <laughs> we but, might as well record it so yeah, that others can listen in and so the 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 move to like take it off of STS because it's such a long record like if we put this up it's an hour episode if we click monetize this video then it ends up with like 16 ads which we don't want <laughs> <laughs> we could turn off some of them and make it so that it's fewer ads but yeah i mean we'll, we'll, uh, we don't have any really real reason to monetize sts at the moment yeah. i think other videos it's not it's not too big of a deal you i watch uh, do you pay you pay for youtube yeah I, so you don't even you don't even yeah. really watch ads i don't watch any ads. I, I watch ads i mean there's i regularly i'm on youtube and i have to sit through an ad before mm -hmm. i get to watch the video so i'm like totally it's totally normalized for me if i am watching like a longer form content like podcasts and there's ad after ad after ad it's annoying because then you have to click skip ad or whatever so um so yeah i mean I think I'm I'm pretty normalized to like seeing ads, and yeah. if people don't want to see ads, they pay for YouTube. I know you do, and also Dylan does as well. Mm -hmm. He's like, I hate ads. So he's like, <laughs> anything to avoid I actually, it. I, I don't understand then how uh, a monetized video makes money, or how YouTube distributes funds if people watching it aren't seeing ads. Like they use a purse like uh like i'm pretty sure if you are watching a youtube video as a paid youtube subscriber they will give the creator a very small percentage of whatever your revenue is or whatever your um, yeah that makes sense expenses. i was just curious if that's actually what's happening though I think it is, yeah, because uh, mm. it's, because it's like, I mean, when I go into the channel analytics, it'll say like YouTube premium revenue, like mm -hmm. so what we've got, and it's usually really, really low because I think there's a small subset of people that actually pay for YouTube premium relative to people who just watch the ads. Right. So, so part of the reason that I'm starting with this and is because we last, after recording last week's episode, we ended up watching. Julius uh, and Move Make the the collaboration for what what's the video title? Drops again? from the top. Drops from the top, and it's it's behind a paywall, but it's only like three dollars. 
yeah, USD. Yeah, three, three, like two ninety nine USD. Something. Yeah, it's it's almost a price where it's like, why isn't this just free? This is kind of how I feel about when it's that low. Um, and I'm not like I I like the idea of, but it's also low enough that it's like, ah, it's only three bucks. I'll pay yeah. for it. You know. <laughs> and I lo- I like the idea of parkour films moving behind paywalls like like series and things like that i for for a long time i had this idea that if if i ever had a ton of money to invest in parkour i would invest it in a streaming platform and try to get like just a ton of like basically and this this would need a lot of money but but i would you know try to fund uh teams and things like that and try to get them to remove content from paid platform or free platforms like YouTube and put it behind something. Uh, if like, so like whenever I was asked if so I had like a, a lot Netflix of money for yeah. parkour so that there's mm-hmm. like documentaries or short form action addicts or whatever and you're mm-hmm. just releasing stuff all the time. Yeah. And you and you just have partnerships with these various teams or individuals who are making the content. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I and I think a lot of uh, groups right now are on to that sort of theme. Like we've kind of heard things. I, I don't want to talk about specific groups or anything because I don't know what's actually confirmed or whatever. But um, this idea of making content and putting it behind some sort of uh, streaming service or paywall or whatever uh, seems to be seems to be catching on. But it's. It's a bit weird because I, I think stuff like in this, this is like an example for Julius's video. I don't know how well they've they've done on sales because his brand and the MoveMake brand isn't super strong to be able to pull in a lot of sales. Uh, whereas Modus, I think back in the day, like I I had some I got a quote from Giles at one point that I was actually I can't remember the exact amount, but I remember being impressed by it by what he told me they did with Soul Destroyer. Mm-hmm. And so that's a that's a brand that developed um, through through Giles promoting it on, on YouTube and things, putting out content with the what at the time was like a really good team of of the athletes that that he'd sponsored through Modus. And so people get to see it and then they did a really good job of of hyping up the videos and, and store could be equally as successful. Store could drop uh, a video or a film behind a paywall right now and do really well because they're putting out free stuff all the time. They also have, have a, a paywall. And they have, yeah, Joiner. Join yeah, is a joint, yeah. like the YouTube join is a paywall that they're putting up content literally every week mm-hmm. to support. So, so kind of reflecting on ourselves and kind of reflecting on what people are doing, like I, I just wonder if like, it probably doesn't bother people on our channel. Like if we put up a tutorial or a short form video or something and it's, you know, is, is monetized. But I wonder if we would do any better in terms of views if it wasn't. Is I guess what I'm, the question I'm kind of wondering or if it even neg- matters with YouTube. I think it's negligible if, if I think it's, people are used to seeing ads on all the content that they watch. Mm-hmm. There's very few pieces of content that they're going to watch that just don't have ads. And if they don't want to see ads, they'll pay for YouTube premium. Right. So um, now I'd like, like, like I said, the exception is for long form content where YouTube will automatically just generate like 16 or 
20 ads mm -hmm. for an hour long podcast like that makes a ton of sense to take those f off take those f <laughs> take those f yeah i'm also just thinking about like the vast majority of wildly successful business speakers will talk about branding and monetization talk about basically holding off on monetization for as long as possible and it, and it really makes sense um, because as soon as you, but it, but it's, I, what I want, what I'm wondering is, 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 is YouTube different is, is YouTube different in the sense that it's already a free platform and people are used to seeing ads and they associate those ads with YouTube, not with the brand who's featured in the I, video. Yeah. I think, I think it is, it is different except in the form of long form content. It's like if. <laughs> If you're watching an hour-long video mm -hmm. and there's an ad every five minutes, that's going to get real old really fast, and you're going to get really annoyed unless you have you are so bought in to whatever these people are talking about or whatever the video is that you must watch it. Mm -hmm. Then you're not going to care as much, and so like you're you're attached to the brand. Right. So yeah, that makes sense. But like, I don't know. Like, 10 to 15 second ad before watching a, a five minute edit or a 10 minute edit. Well, if, if they're used to it too, like I think, cause that has to do with the YouTube brand. Well, and that's not asking people to shell out um, any money. Yeah. They're just, well, they're just shelling out a little bit of their attention. Mm -hmm. Cause I tell you what does bother me is like, Recently, I found that a lot of uh, retired MMA fighters are creating YouTube channels. Mm -hmm. uh, so fa famously, like like Chael Sonnen has over a million subscribers now, but there's a bunch of other ones that are trying to basically follow along to the same thing. And they all have plugs mid-video, which mm -hmm. is something I'm, I'm really... If, if we do get more successful, if we do get more subscribers and, and we do attract some sort of sponsor that wants us to do something like that, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it right away. Because particularly, like, I don't want to read a script for, some, for, like, a product I don't use, for example. Oh, yeah. That feels weird. Um, Mr. Beast, I think, is really good with this and because he makes the ad entertaining. Mm -hmm. So it actually, it's a fun project I've for him to do. Yeah. And it's also, it makes it entertaining for the watcher to yeah. watch it as well. So it's not like, oh, I'm being pulled out of this mm -hmm. video for this ad. It's like, oh, I'm just like participating in this video yeah. to watch it. His, his brand is also like super strong, but it's, it's funny who- But it's because he does stuff like that. Yeah. Because he's, play, he's playing the game really like intelligently. Yeah. Like recently I was, so there's a, a retired MMA fighter, UFC fighter, Daniel Cormier, who at the beginning of one of his videos, he said, hang on a second, guys, I just got to pay the bills real quick. And then like starts going to his thing. And it's like, pay the bills, man. You just got off of a broadcasting job. Like you were just, you were just commentating at a UFC fight, which who knows how much that pays? Probably a friggin' lot. Probably more. You probably got paid more than the people fighting. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I got to pay the, like, come on. You don't like, Really? Yeah. That's... So, so I feel like in, in those sort of cases, like sometimes where it's like you're trying to build a channel, I don't know, like Jimmy the Giant, who I unsubscribe from, but um, <laughs> Jimmy the Giant, I uh, started really early with like Vite Ramen and stuff, uh, putting in uh, his 
the, the ads that he made. But yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a thing where I understand and you see it in parkour too, where, um, you know, affiliate codes, like save 10% on spyglass clothing <laughs> in, in a caption or something, you know, it's just, it's all over the place. But, but I wonder, and I, I don't think people care about that because they don't see it. Like that's, that's like, you're not even trying to sell something, but I don't know when you have like a can of something in a photo or like a, or a video, you know, and it's just like, oh, okay, I, I'm not following this person to really see this sort of thing. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what the game is. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I'm trying to like, at what point, at what point should, uh, and I, it's probably harder for parkour athletes, but at what point should they be trying to either sell you something or ask for money for their content yeah i mean the the general recommendation is like give away a ton for free mm -hmm. and then when you've built a, a really solid brand following then you can start charging for it or or charging the attention yeah. right or like um using that and yeah i don't know like if if you have a massive following then maybe that is and the other thing too is like if you make it entertaining or interesting for the followers, for your followers or your subscribers, mm -hmm. then uh, it's win-win because then you're you're getting paid and also entertaining. But whenever I'm like scrolling through the feed and I just see like this is an this is clearly an ad. They they're not doing anything interesting in this. Mm -hmm. It's like I compl I just get out of it as soon as possible. Yeah. So I don't give the attention because it's just a waste. You, you just reminded me too, uh, I always appreciate Brody Pawson's yeah. ads. Yeah, yeah, so he, he always throws down. That's the thing, he's always doing something cool and then mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, I got a shot of a watch now. Yeah. You know, like, and, it's, and it's filmed really nice, you know? Yeah, so it's yeah, just yeah. like, oh. And I'm not gonna buy a Mito watch and I'm not going to buy like Bang Energy or whatever it is, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother me that I'm being sold something. I'm just yeah. kind of like, oh, good for him. And, you know, thank you for actually throwing down and doing some good parkour in this clip instead of just, you know, showcasing the product and then doing like the easiest stuff. You doing a done. crappy backflip or something. Yeah. No, yeah. That's, that's the thing is like, if you're still able to provide value for your audience and then also like, uh, like showcase whatever product it is, then like more power to you. And I think that's, that's a, that's a good thing. And I, and Brody also has the number of followers that you need to support that mm -hmm. because he's not going to lose a bunch of followers just because he did one ad. He's got close to a million, I think. Yeah. Well, I think part of it too is not necessarily the idea of losing. And I guess this is where my YouTube example kind of after talking this out now kind of makes sense that that YouTube YouTube putting ads on videos cuz YouTube didn't always do that they became the best and most popular pr uh, platform for watching videos like basically <laughs> homemade videos essentially uh, but also you have professional ones on there as well but they became the the place where everyone goes to watch longer form videos and so then they were able to put up ads similar to like Facebook holding out on ads for a long time and then putting into it. So I guess what I'm kind of more wondering is when we go back to 
these, these ideas of putting films behind paywalls, I think everyone is leaning into the idea of like asking for support. So it almost becomes like a charitable thing, right? Uh, and I don't think they're thinking long-term like scalability. I don't think they're thinking long-term of like, oh, maybe if I just put up, which again, is gonna be harder because I know a lot of parkour people out there are broke. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, but uh, I think if I was gonna put up some sort of platform, uh, like say a MoveMag platform where they have like some videos up, and I think they did this for a while too, like they have some free stuff up there. But, but the idea would be like, just put it up for free as, as for as long as you can and then charge later because you're gonna build an audience easier if it's free. Yeah, well, it's like, here's the thing is you need to prove that you're going to make good content first. Yeah. And I think that's why store can get away with charging money for their plat for mm -hmm. their join platform is because they have a proven model of demonstrating that not only they can they make, can they like do cool stuff, mm -hmm. but they can make it into really great videos and tell great stories and so so they've approved they've proven that hey we can entertain you so you should pay for mm -hmm. this extra stuff mm -hmm. because there's going to be definitely some entertainment behind this paywall yeah um well also their clothing um yeah sure like they're they're always it's always a, a like a clothing is is a form of like monetization for them oh totally it totally is but I mean, I, I kind of want to frame this around just talking about like monetizing videos. Right. Yeah. Because if we go back to the example of MoveMag, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, all right, three bucks, sure, we'll easily like can afford that. I'm going to pay for it to watch it. It's a five minute piece. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay. But has MoveMag created enough free content that has entertained a lot of people to justify? Like, mm -hmm. do they have a strong enough brand around creation of content to justify charging for this other piece of content? Right. Or well, it's also like point A. Point A. Like, they, I don't want to just put, put, we're not trying to just, you know. Point A didn't even have any content before mm -hmm. uh, Queen City was, was released. That was their first release, and they, they dropped that behind a paywall. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree. And then they put out a free one recently, mm -hmm. which, funny enough, I still haven't watched yet. The THC yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah, so Try Hard Collective. Um, yeah, that one was free. There's, I mean, that's the funny thing about paying for something is you're definitely going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. There, there's also that side of things where it's like paying for something makes you value it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but but having, having said all this about um, MoveMag charging for this, piece I actually want to talk about the piece because yeah. exactly, <laughs> it is it is good yeah. like it's it's good and um like I definitely enjoyed it there's things that I could say that I was a little bit frustrated by when I was watching it but some some, some nitpicks some nitpicks but mm. um but you also liked it I really liked it um I really got into it it was a it was actually one because we watched it together sitting here and I still want to, we, we've talked about doing this with other videos before, and I think we have to do, uh, I would love to sit down and do like a live reaction 
Oh yeah, that would so, be a good one to because it's short. Yeah, right? it's only five yeah. minutes. Well, can't fake it now. Yeah, see it. <laughs> All right, maybe the next one. So, uh, but I was like, I was feeling things when I was uh, watching it. Um, so it did a very good job of uh, of that <laughs> making me of uh, of making me feel things, and I enjoyed the uh, look into the process. I think we both agreed that it actually could have been longer. Um, it actually, uh, I don't know how much was cut out from from the edit or from like the footage that was there. Um, I don't know if you want to go straight into some of the nitpicks because yeah, that's I'll kind talk of about it, cause, what it is. Okay, so it, it was it was really good. I really liked the whole interview format mm-hmm. of him talking about it. Um, Nobody else is looking at this. Like it's so it's mm-hmm. it's this really hard, and they kind of explain why it's hard because it's a, a foot taller than all the rest of the levels. Um, am I giving this away? I don't know. I don't really care. So no, don't worry about it. it <laughs> um, but I was annoyed that they didn't really talk about his technical process in doing this because I was actually following him when he was going through doing it. I think he was doing like longer Instagram videos or lives or something like that. I can't remember because mm-hmm. this was a while ago. But he was basically like, so there's the, the, there's the walls and then there's a railing on top of the wall, but the railing is made up of like four railings or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so in his preparation for doing it from the top, which is like a foot or so higher than the other ones, is he worked his way up the railing. So he had his hands on the bottom railing, then the second from the bottom, then the third from the bottom, and then the very top rail. And he worked up to doing doing it that way. And that was a story that could have been included in Drops from the Top that was completely omitted. It was just... Was it completely omitted or did you they... just You just see him holding on to a bottom railing at mm-hmm. one point, but he does. they don't mention... You're, you're right because we talked about it after. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize yeah. that that was... Um, I, I understood that doing it from the top... Was it? But but even as a even as a parkour practitioner, even as someone who's being given uh, the information in in the in the film, I missed out on the details of like specific details of 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 that of why the top one was that much more difficult, other than it being higher. Because that was when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, just I guess no one's done it from the top because it's like another story higher and that's scarier. Yeah, was kind of my, um, my my thinking. I didn't even, I had to like watch it again to be like, oh, this is what you're talking about. Yeah. So it kind of went over my head, un- unfortunately. Um, big dumb but, that's the, but no, it, but that's the thing is it was on them to tell the story mm. and they missed a, an opportunity to tell a little bit deeper the story about and like make it even more clear. Like, no, this is actually substantially higher in fact, I had to do it from the top rail on the lower sections before I could do it from the very top. So that was my one criticism. And this is this is like, it, it was an otherwise really well-produced piece. And if I hadn't known some of the context from like watching him do this, like when he originally did it, mm-hmm. 
I probably would have enjoyed the film way more. Mm, okay. Yes, yeah, because, because I, I, I had not seen... Because I knew some yeah. of that extra context, it makes mm. me like a little bit annoyed that they didn't include some of the, like what I thought was like such a cool process mm -hmm. for basically training his brain to be able to do it from a higher drop. Yeah. So, yeah. Otherwise, really good film, and, and I enjoyed it. And I, I agree, it could have been longer... Um, and I would I wished it would have included some of those details like a little bit deeper into the process behind doing it um, But not too much longer because mm. I actually like that it kind of kept it it ended and I wanted more That's mm -hmm. usually a good sign mm -hmm. So like no more definitely no more than 10 minutes. Yeah, sometimes I watch these things and I wonder at what point did this become a documentary you know, in, within the process. Yeah. Uh, so you have Sean Andres. I can't. I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, fine. And it's Julius Porter. We're talking about. Uh, he, so Sean is the one doing. I, I believe all of the all of the recording, all of the filming. And so, at what point, I wonder, did they decide, like, okay, this is going to become a film, versus like, hey, can you just come out and shoot this for me? Because you look at the uh, the interview shots, which I'm assuming were done after the fact, and you look at the the, the gear for the interview, so they have like lighting and stuff like that. And the one thing I was just wondering was, why didn't someone just like put a GoPro somewhere? You know, because because at the end of this film, you only have like one shot. It's a really beautiful shot of of the descent, and I, I wanted a replay because what we ended up doing was like rewinding. <laughs> Yeah, you know, which you shouldn't have to do in a watching a film. So, and that just could have been something you, know, you pulled to make it longer. Maybe pulling some of um, if Julius had even like phone clips to slice in because they're already they were already doing a lot of neat stuff with the edit. Also, uh, some some graphics and some stylistic choices with the edit. And I don't think it would have taken me out of it really to have like more visual aids to explain things. Um, anyways, we're nitpicking here. Um, like I said, I, I still really, um, not knowing everything you know about it, um, I still really enjoyed it. Um, I actually was curious about, um, we can get into this in a moment as well, uh, how Julius is doing. Um, yeah. I know he had an, an injury, uh, last year and I'm assuming it was before, it was definitely before doing this. Had to have been. Before doing what? Before doing the descent. No. Or sorry, after sorry, after doing the descent. He yes. did the descent yes. before yeah, yeah, yeah. before getting injured. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I think anyways, good uh, yeah, great great project great idea for like a project. Um, I'm happy that someone is following someone doing a challenge like this, because this is a, these are actually the types of projects I want to see. Um, I think things I didn't like about if we, we already talked about point A for Queen, Queen City was not a big deal to me because there was not there was no real story of something to overcome in that it was just let's meet up um, let's get these um, these women meeting up to uh, to train and do some challenges uh, there was a challenge or two that had little stories in there but nothing nothing major I think it's rare that a parkour athlete sets out to do something that requires multiple sessions to do and that it gets documented. 
I think so much of parkour happens like in session um, or like we even talk about um, with with uh, dive holes with like the the uh, the final like challenge mm-hmm. challenge you did. Uh, had that been something where, like, let's say the day that you did it, let's say it didn't actually happen, mm-hmm. and then you had to go back, like, multiple times, it's actually quite rare uh, because most people just don't want... I, I think I think a lot of um, a lot of parkour, parkour athletes will get, like, discouraged or they won't see a path, but Julius clearly had a path to doing this, and it, and it took multiple sessions to, to break down and get through, and... I'm took just multiple stoked. sessions for me to do that dive hole. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, there was like also like a big break in between. In between all of them, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think a better example uh, for you is actually the the, the final uh, ascent in uh, Ascension Two. Ascension Two. Yeah. Um, that took a long time, yeah. and I was actively working on it a lot of not the whole time, but yeah, there was definitely periods of like training, 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 training just to do it, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I think of other big projects like Capstone, I'd, I'm sure some of the challenges in Capstone were like multiple visit ones, but I know some of them were just like, you know, putting something on a list and then showing up and sending and, and sending. Right. Uh, which which is uh, incredible, like that um, those guys have the mental fortitude to do that. But I really like seeing this something being like project like projected over. A per- over a period of like sessions because the person doing it, it's it's so ambitious for them that it, it required mm-hmm. all this like extra work. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that, um, I mean, I think interestingly, Descents kind of ended up having this term associated, which is like projecting. Mm. Like, oh, I'm projecting this Descent because it's going to take longer than just the single session mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to go through a process of like breaking it down learning the technique for it and then ultimately building up to the top mm-hmm. um, which is it's interesting that it's taken so long so this is actually what's so cool about this is that this is a one of the original parking garages mm-hmm. that were descended not the very first one but one of the original ones in Colorado that Dylan Baker broke and basically thrust this technique onto the um, the the parkour scene. And I think it's really interesting that he never ended up doing it from the top. I wonder if he ever had ambition to do it from the top and then just didn't. Mm. Um, but it's cool that Julius kind of picks up on this really like historical in for parkour parking garage descent and he is able to take it up to the like final yeah. form see now now you're making me nitpick more because you could have they could have included they showed they could have showed uh some of the history of baker it. in there yeah 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 again yeah there's there's so much to be there's so much like more storytelling that could have happened Mm. Um, but still for like what the piece was, it was a worthwhile watch. Mm -hmm. So, um, I still really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, there's definitely more that could, more storytelling that could have been included that would have elevated it even more. Yeah. So 
and maybe made it worth more than three bucks. <laughs> well, if it was longer, it would have been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, if you do plan on purchasing this for MoveMag, make sure to check your spam folder. Because mm -hmm. they're going to send you a link, and you have to check your spam folder to potentially see it. Cause, I did. Because it happened to you, but it also happened to like a bunch of other people, I think. Mm. Um, I, I, I thought I saw like MoveMag talking about it when they released it, that people were having trouble with it. So check your spam. <laughs> Speaking of spam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Where are you going with that one? <laughs> So how do we, um, so <laughs> oh, I got nothing. Um, I thought I was going to be able to come up with something, but should I just, should I just jump into our next topic. Yeah, let's just, do it. Okay, let's cool. Do it. Um, before we uh, sat down today, I wanted to talk about, uh, kids. Um, I was, uh, I'm back on working on Sundays again right now, which is, uh, it's all kids. <laughs> Sunday mornings at uh, at Virgins is is all kids and kind of reflecting this weekend on just just the changes in in general over the last you know over over a decade so before I opened the gym I was not coaching kids uh, I was only coaching teens and adults my experience with kids has more to do with uh, my first job which was uh, being a babysitter. Um, you were a babysitter? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who trusted yeah. you? Oh, come on. <laughs> trust me right now. Um, so. As a teenager? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I did, did quite a bit. Um, and so, like, I've always, um, I, I, I've never had an issue uh, hanging out with kids, uh, playing with kids, taking care of them, that sort of thing. But I, there was this gap in time of not working with with any kids at all uh probably like yeah close to like a 10-year gap and then here we are like another 10-year progression of <laughs> consistently working with them but i wanted to ask you first um what do you feel like for for you as a coach like what has changed for you in the last in the last decade of of working with kids oh okay so there's a lot that's changed um and I actually want to relate this to, um, there's this concept that I learned this in psychology when I was studying, um, in university. Um, but there's different parenting styles. Have you heard of the parenting styles? No. Okay. So there's, there's four parenting styles. Um, and one of them is neglectful, which is basically you just we just don't. We don't need to talk about that. It's just like obviously, <laughs> obviously bad. Um, and then there's uh, there's three others that most people fall into. It's authoritarian, authoritative, and permissive. And so um, I'll explain what each of those are in like as briefly as I can. Authoritarian is like um, everything is my way as the as the parent. It's uh, it's n not really considering the the thoughts or feelings of the child. It's it's all about me as the parent and what I want you to do. Um, and it's uh, there's not much like room for uh, independence for the child. It's kind of like very uh, very strict. 
then there's authority. Well, then there's permissive, and permissive is kind of like you're really buddy buddy with your kid, and you just kind of like they kind of get away with a lot. It's like ha ha ha, that's just little Johnny, you know. Um, <laughs> and being permissive is kind of it is you almost look less as a parent and more as a friend. Mm-hmm. And then there's authoritative, which kind of blends the good things of authoritarian and permissive, but kind of without the badness of it, which is that you're, you have like strict, clear guidelines for how your child is expected to behave, but they are val- the independence is valued and they're able to make decisions. And so a lot of decisions that are made for for like between the parent and child it's like a collaboration between the two Mm. um but the parent is kind of really driving the the direction it's like okay well you could either do this or this not what do you want to do johnny as a permissive parent or like no it's my way only as an authoritarian parent anyway so where where does need to ask you where where did uh like who came up with these uh Baumann? I can't remember. It's a, it's, it's some, some researcher. Person. Some researcher. Um, see, I, I'm very, I'm not super researched in this topic, but this is something I learned in school, and it was something oh, that okay. I related over. Mm-hmm. I related to coaching um, for myself because early on I was very authoritarian. Um, like some of the first camps, mm-hmm. I would like. Hey guys, blah, 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 you know, like bark orders at kids and like, like, no, don't do that. No, you can't do, you know, and I was very like, uh, very strict about like, this is how you need to behave and why aren't you behaving this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, over time I've tried, I've tried to shift more into the authoritative kind of category, but I have found that I've, I, even today, I'm not perfect. I'm like, sometimes I'll be a little bit authoritarian. Sometimes I'll be a little bit permissive, but I'm trying to stay as balanced as I can in the authoritative category. And that's kind of the big shift is that I, I'm, I'm trying not to be like, like I, I see this with, um, with coaching in general. It's like, sometimes people are really like barking orders at people. And sometimes people are like, ah, too permissive. I'm just gonna Mm -hmm. like, I'm just gonna talk to you as like if you're a friend but you could kind of get away with a lot and so I'm trying to like balance these two is like I want to value that kids and they need to kind of have room to grow and be able to go through this process of kind of figuring themselves out and I need to allow some of that to happen while at the same time I need to make sure that they're behaving in a way that is in line with what it what it means to be like behave well in a class setting or um uh or listen when i'm speaking or uh not hit other kids or other you know (laughs) things like that so so i've found that trying to adopt a more authoritative approach to coaching has been really valuable because it sees the child as co- a collaborator, but also establishes me as still being the authority figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's times when I'm, I'm too friendly. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess you can do that. Oh, can I go in the phone pit? Yeah, I guess you can go in the phone pit. Or, you know, uh, and then there's times when I'm too authoritarian where it's like, can I go in the phone pit? And it's like, no. <laughs> it's like, why not? 
I just said so. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's like, ah, okay, so like, where can I find the balance? Mm. And so that's been kind of, that's been a big um, experience of growth I've had over the course of the 10 years is to kind of notice when I'm going too far mm-hmm. in one direction and kind of pull back to that um, more balanced approach. And so uh, I, I like to think that now well, I definitely don't bark at kids anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, although, when was the last time I was going to ask you? Because uh, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure it was about seven years ago for me. It was the last time I, I actually had to shout like across the gym at a kid. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been a long time. Like it's it's actually been a long time since I've. Um, resorted to that yeah (laughs) um and it's it's interesting because i can remember like how it felt uh because i used to do it like when we first opened the gym happened quite a bit you see uh misbehavior you see it happening again and again i'm trying to teach a parkour class yeah and why uh, won't you do the thing that i want you to do (laughs) and um yeah, I remember the last time where I had to just shout across the room and it was so unnecessary, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think I remember how, un- I, I think it was in that moment that I decided to stop doing it. Yeah. Because it felt unnecessary. You get the whole room like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Because I can, I don't know if people know this, I can yell. I can, <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I need to, I can, uh, I, like I have like levels and I'm usually like afraid to get to the, to the max level, but the max level is. Uh, it's intense. I can, I can yell. Um, so yeah, I haven't, I haven't uh, resorted to that in like, it, I'm going to say like at least seven years um, since the last time I had to do that. And I, and I don't. I don't think it. I don't think I ever really have to, because um, because it's almost like uh, you're choosing to make the situation like volatile, you know. Uh, and I can see times in life where I may have to yell, but at a kid who's just like climbing on something for too long, when he's supposed to get back to the group, or even and then decides to throw something, or decides to really, because uh, you have kids that that are really going against you. Yeah. They're choosing to like, really like I'm challenging you, but I, I don't know. It's almost like they, they've won. <laughs> you know, I almost see it that way too, where like a, a kid has, if, if a kid's trying to challenge you and you lost your shit, they won. They won. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, how do you feel in that moment? Like emotionally, do you feel like you've, you walk away from that situation? Like I really handled my emotions very well in that moment. You know, yeah. no, you like, you feel like red in the mm-hmm. face or the ears and you mm-hmm. feel like this intensity and you feel like upset. Well, it's, it's, I think it's embarrassing. You feel embarrassed. Yeah. yeah they're like, you, you don't win in that context. Mm-hmm. And I think also subtly the kids lose even more respect for you. I actually had a teacher in middle school, I think, um, who I actually liked. He was like pretty fun, uh, pretty like um, nice teacher. I, I got along with him interpersonally, mm-hmm. but one time he threw a chair <laughs> in class, and then he like he's like, I guess I have to throw a chair for you to listen to me. 
and he was like clearly like like flustered and like mm-hmm. emotionally like up like upset and angered and i remember in that moment i was like woo i lost a lot of respect for that guy and like and as a kid i remember mm-hmm. thinking that i was like that was unnecessary like you could have done something better in that moment and I actually think back to that sometimes it's like especially as a coach now that I deal with kids all the time I I like don't want to be like him Mm -hmm. in that moment because I like I want to be I want to be respected as a coach and I don't think you get respect for yelling or screaming Mm -hmm. or barking at at a kid um, or at a group of kids. I think mm. you get respect by like showing restraint and c- control, but also being like, um, um, like from my perspective, I want to have an authoritative tone where kids respect me, but they, um, but they don't want to disappoint me is like kind of the big thing is like, mm. if I, if I'm saying something, and they're kind of going against something that I say, and I like I kind of address it with them. I want them to be like, oh, "Yeah, I'm so, I'm really sorry, like Coach Tom. Like, I you know I don't want to ever make you feel disappointed in me. Like, mm-hmm. I want you to feel like I can be a better person. So, right. Yeah, that's kind of like my goal yeah. with uh, when it comes to like the interpersonal relationship that I have with the kids. And like I said, sometimes I go too far in the permissive side where I'm just like, yeah, like uh, you let you kind of walk all over me, <laughs> you know, or like I'm just your friend here. Right. But I try to like catch that when I can mm. and uh, make sure that they know that I'm still the authority in the room and you need to like respect that. So, yeah, I, I think what, I want to go back on something I just said about uh, like the, the win lose thing. Cause, cause it's not, it, it's not that I'm ever anymore trying to win again. Like it's not a competition between me and you know, who can, <laughs> yeah. when it's, it's actually when I, when I get into those moments now where there's a kid who's, um, who's, mis- who's like challenging me, I I want to figure I want to figure out why yeah sooner is, is more like the the answer because trying to to win against trying to compete against them in any sort of way is going to bring out more of that behavior obviously and so I have to figure out why which is hard when you're you know coaching a group I think so much of uh, so much of working with kids, and, and I have conversations with uh, uh, with my wife Gloria all the time, uh, who I've learned a lot from um, because she has to teach something way harder than parkour. <laughs> she has to she has to teach kids piano, <laughs> and she she's excellent at um, working with kids. But some of her resol- like whenever I go to her for advice, a lot of her resolutions are are easier because it's it's one-on-one, one-on-one. Or, or a smaller group. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was about to say, like, does she ever do group? Um, she does. She does, she does group theory, which is even harder okay. than piano because you're doing a group class where it's like study these scales and notes and ideas about music. Well that, makes, well, that makes more sense than the actual playing, though, mm-hmm. because how do you... Yeah, you can't manage group playing, a group know. of mm-hmm. kids where the goal is to make sounds <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and make sounds good. 
Um, but also, like, I guess on my, um, uh, my, my, my progression over the last, like, 10 years has, has been more to do with, like, what is, what, what is, like, what is the, the goal that I'm trying to achieve in this class? Like, what, like, what am I here for? What am I, what am I trying to do? What's important? And it, it shifted from, I think, early on was... I knew my expertise was in parkour technique. And so it's like, and that's what I'm, that's what I was passionate about. Right. And so it's kind of like shifting, shifting my expertise and shifting, shifting my passion <laughs> or shifting like what, you know, what, what is going to be interesting for me? Cause I'll, I'll fully admit too that, uh, sometimes I, uh, sometimes I can reach a level of boredom coaching. Like if it's, it, it's, there's a point where, and it's kind of like where I'll, I'll really uh, resonate with people taking a class is it needs to be challenging for them, but it also needs to be challenging for me <laughs> to, to be able to get the best class going, right? Yeah. Like the best class is going to be one where like uh, I have to find ways as a coach to be fully engaged and fully challenged and I have to make ways for the class to be fully engaged and challenged. But like I said, early on, it was all about my expertise in technique. I enjoyed working with kids. Like I said, I have, I had some history and it's like, cool, I get to work with kids again. Okay. But how do I merge these two things? Because before that, like my experience working with kids was with uh, neighborhood friends or relatives and like roughhousing and, and stuff like that, or, um, or babysitting where it was just, you know, play, what do you want to do? Cool. I have to like supervise you. And then we have to play and stuff, but, oh, now I actually have to, I want to teach you parkour yeah. and you just want to play in this crazy gym, but I want you to do this technique right now. And we had this, uh, this uh, mantra, I guess, that we developed where early on and still a bit and still now, actually, we still we still do it. But we refuse to make our parkour program about games, which is what a lot of other parkour programs I, I know are. Is it's is it's about it's about just games because like we can get kids to play games. We can get kids to do this, these sort of movement games. But we were like, no, we're going to teach them techniques we're going to teach them parkour the way that we know parkour and i still think we do that a lot. well we, we we do that's that's what we do outside of uh outside of camps camps, camps yeah, have a lot games. more games but in terms of classes it's still about teaching them the techniques but what we had to start moving for is like okay how do we gamify the lessons how do we mm. <laughs> you know get kids to actually want to learn the techniques because they don't always want to just drill stuff like they or rarely it's it's very rare we get kids that actually want to drill stuff it's usually they just want to do their own thing so so yeah early on it was my expertise is technique uh that's also what i'm passionate about i, I like kids but you know this is these are going to be some weird worlds to to merge together and then uh i think i think along the way at some point i realized that that there was like i had a uh I had a deficiency there, right? Like that, that there was something, something not working. And, and so it started to shift as like a challenge, right? Um, you know, we're both parkour guys. So like, you know, 
Challenge, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> let's, let's complete a challenge. But the challenge was more like, how do I make this more fun so that I can actually get kids to do it? How do we break things um, down more simply so the kids can understand it? Um, and how do we keep kids coming back to classes? Because we would watch, like, I remember the the craziest thing that happened with Origins was like this uh, surge of kids coming into the program and having all of our coaches, including myself, having no experience coaching parkour to kids, (laughs) but having this massive surge and it's like, oh, we're not even trying, you know, for the first like three years, we're not even trying and kids are just showing up and, and almost like no one, I felt like this vibe of like no one wanting to coach the kids either, where we'd have these massive kid classes show up and everyone's just like, okay, how am I going to get through this? I, well, so initially I like, I didn't even want to coach kids. Mm. I was just like, cause (laughs) I don't know. I didn't like kids partially because I never spent much time with them, (laughs) but like throughout, I had this like idea in my head that I just like, ah, I I really don't like kids. Like Mm. kids are just, ah, I just don't want to hang out with kids. Mm. There's nothing about kids that I really enjoyed. And then, um, and then I was just kind of like put into, all right, Tom, you're going to start coaching kids classes. And it's like, okay, I'll do it reluctantly over time. I've now grown to love kids and they're like, it's, it keeps me young. Like it keeps me like, and, and it's been good, like practice interacting with, with a, a demographic of people that I would never would otherwise kids are people, by the way, like, <laughs> I feel like we're often like a lot of people will almost like treat them like uh like dogs or yeah. like pets They're well like, it gets back to that competition thing yeah you know where it's like yeah you're you're and the the authority right where mm-hmm. it's like oh i am more intelligent and larger yeah and i've figured out the world more than this other being and so like they're like a lesser being do and- it you know like <laughs> do the thing yeah. like yeah but it, but but and and the way you like the way you talk you speak to them like, I also think about, you know, we were talking about barking orders or like, mm. like yelling at kids. Would you ever do that to an adult? Like, yeah, well, that's, and that's the thing you have to realize too, is like, I, am I, yeah. <laughs> am I Would you ever yell like yeah. at the top of your lungs mm. at an adult who just wasn't yeah. listening well, it's funny, during a lesson that you're giving them? <laughs> when I was referring to the, the yelling, like when, when do I need to yell? And because it's it's a volatile thing to do, yeah. and it's like when that is required, yeah. When when you know if <laughs> if I'm witnessing violence or something, yeah. or you know what I mean, yeah. like something serious, that's when you bring that up. Yeah, 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 ex- exactly. But in, in most scenarios, you don't need to. No. Um, but anyway, um, what was I talking? Oh, I I, I never mm. liked kids, yeah. but then I grew I grew to like them, and they're mm. um, and they. And it, I, I view it actually, I view coaching as a challenge and mm-hmm. even for adults, I, I view coaching as a challenge. And if I really related with what you said about like trying not to be bored mm. because we have been doing this for a really long time mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And so we need to find ways to keep ourselves engaged because the more engaged we are, the better class experience that our students are going to have, whether they're adults or kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I view like working with a group of kids as a challenge and yeah, I'm not going to lie. There's times where it's like, this group of kids is really challenging Mm -hmm. or like, 
you know, the, like these kids are all over the place, like they're not listening or or whatever. But sometimes when when I'm put in those scenarios, I actually rise to the occasion and I get the most out of them because mm-hmm. I approach it like a challenge. Like, okay, how am I gonna problem solve this? Instead of just like being overwhelmed and like giving up, like, ah, they're just gonna do whatever, so whatever, you know? Um, I try to like work with the energy that they're bringing and see if I can direct them. And as much as possible, do that with an authoritative approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting cause I've definitely like definitely improved a lot over the course <laughs> of 10 years. I'm definitely a much better coach working with kids and I'm much better at working with kids now than I was when, um, when I first started as a kid hating individual. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back to what I was, um, what I was saying about like the progression is we, we had that peak. I remember like three or four years into running the gym, we had this peak probably about year three where kids classes were so big, but I, I would be, I think if I walked into one of those classes right now, I would be like, this gym doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Like this, this, this place doesn't, this is, this is about to fail. And it did like we, um, this, that, there was a low point for Origins around like year five, year six, where um, these kids' classes that we did not have to try to fill all of a sudden were not full anymore. <laughs> you know? yeah. All of a sudden there's, there's no more kids. And I think it took that. I think it almost took us like hitting pretty much like rock bottom to realize that like a change needed to be made. And... Like I said, I started with this sort of thing where it's like, yeah, I, I, I like kids. I like working with kids. Blah, blah, blah. But um, couldn't mesh the two. Couldn't mesh the, the, the passion and the, the, the geek in me for, for parkour with the, the I enjoy working with kids. And so I, I, you know, things like started to change for me where I, I wanted to figure out, okay, like how do I, how do I get better at teaching them? And I, you know, I started looking more into... Uh, positive like positive reinforcement as opposed to so like changing the way I spoke um changing the uh the 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 overall approach for that and trying to be like more of a positive reinforcement being being kind of like one of the first changes but I think overall like the what what started to happen is is the idea for me was was not necessarily to get like new kids in and being and and getting them into parkour is just Gaining them to enjoy the experience at the gym, which we also talk about with adults, right? Yeah. Like we talked about it last week with kind of our goal with adult classes is like, can we get like an emotional win out of out of adults? Like early on when they come in, it's the same thing for kids. Because the other thing that, um, and this this goes for like, because I know we have listeners that work at parkour gyms and that um, you know, are coaching and probably can relate to a lot of this stuff is there you're going to have kids that are just getting dumped off at this thing and have no idea what they're there for. Yeah. You know, we, and, and we have it pretty easy because parkour is mostly fun. <laughs> um, it's most kids want to jump and they want to, want to do things, um, until it gets too challenging and then they don't want to do it anymore. Uh, but it's mostly fun. It's not like sitting down and, uh, learning piano theory, you know, it's um, it's it's mostly like pretty easy to get to get kids uh, relative to other things that they're doing to get them into it. But a lot of them show up having no idea what they're getting into. Um, and it's 
that's that's another one of the challenges. And so, or they like, have a different idea of what yeah. they're, you know, like they have an idea of what parkour is, and then we introduce it to them, and they're just like, yeah. well, when are we gonna do the real parkour? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's like, what's real parkour? Like, explain to me what that is, kid. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, and I think that's also discovered also like one thing that um, that you and I do. I've, I've witnessed you do this a lot of times. Is like. You, you you identify the kid who doesn't know why he's here, yeah. and then you ask them like, oh, what's going on today? Like, yeah. what do you you know what do you what do you want to do? What do you yeah. what are you here for? I I don't know. I just yeah. came here. Okay, well, calm down for a second. Your your mom wanted you to be here, so yeah. um, and you know. She's gone. She's not gonna be back for another forty-five minutes at least. Now um, we're you know we're fifteen minutes in here or more. Um, let's uh, you know let's see if we can. You know, I'm, I'm Coach Renee. Let's see if we can yeah. <laughs> make the most out of this situation. I think you might, you know, have some fun doing this thing over here. But yeah, a lot of the kids that are going to show up at your at your parkour gym aren't there for parkour, <laughs> or they don't know it yet. And you know, I, ideally, the ideal situation is, and that's that, that's the challenge now is like, can can we get uh, these kids at least to enjoy the experience of being here and and you know have have some emotional wins. And then I, I don't even, it, it almost doesn't even cross my mind anymore that I need to, because we, we, and we talked about this last week too, about getting people into the parkour culture. But I think that also takes like way more time. Oh right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. It's like, it, the, the, again, the first challenge is, is like, can I just get them to want to come back to the gym? Yeah. And then, and then after that becomes like, that's, I mean, and, and that that's relatively easy to do as long as they as long as they're coming in and having some fun in the space. Like mm -hmm. we literally, it's a literally a playground to yeah. them, you know. So, uh, so that's not too challenging to do, but but we do want to see we we want them to have a varied experience as well, so that they're not coming and doing the same thing over and over, and like not noticing improvement, or at least not able to notice improvement. Which is why band exams were huge for like having levels because we used to have like basically level one and level two, which is like beginner and like basically intermediate. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing in between beginner and intermediate. There needed to be like a couple other steps for kids to notice, oh, okay, I'm actually improving. I'm like maybe grouped with a different, with a, a slightly better group next. Oh, now I'm like potentially like getting better than some of the other kids in this group, maybe I have an opportunity to move up to the next group or whatever, mm -hmm. so on. So, um, but yeah, in general, and, and some kids don't even really have that much of an ambition to like get that much better, but they mm -hmm. still really enjoy coming. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I can think of like some kids who actually are now in like teen adult program mm -hmm. who they're getting maybe a little bit better, but they're basically kind of just coming because it's an activity that they're that they enjoy coming to do. Right. And it's not necessarily uh, I must improve every time I'm <laughs> here or I must get the challenge every time I'm here. So that's the other thing too is like kids will come because uh, because it's a social place. Mm -hmm. It's a show, social activity. Yeah. Or it can be a social activity. Yeah. Something you just said too about like getting the challenge, which which I think has actually been the the final change that I've made to working with kids, which also was huge for working with adults. And it's it's something that I, I think 
becomes the hardest part about coaching in general, um, but very, very specific to parkour, which is identifying if a challenge is too hard or too easy. Mm. And I think this is the the easiest thing also to mistake. So to have like almost like a Dunning-Kruger about where, where coaches think like, oh, because particularly if you're a coach who like learns something instinctively, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, oh, this is easy. And this kid's just misbehaving. And, and like the number one thing, like if you have an activity that is, that is clearly inherently like fun to do and every kid is doing it and you have like one out of, uh, out of eight kids not doing it, almost like every time it's because it's, it's probably actually too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, for the kid to, to do. And sometimes it's too easy, but yeah, but, but it's but, not in the sweet spot. But I was going to get to that. But the funny thing about saying it's too easy, kids will tell you it's too easy and it's, and it's not. That's right. Re- you That's, can't trust, you can't trust the kid to say it's too easy. You, you have to, <laughs> yeah, you have to like actually identify it. So, but yeah, actually, I, I think a, a strategy for that is to like start with extremely low expectations and be like, all right, guys, we're going to start, we're going to start with this one. And it's really easy, really, you know, and mm-hmm. then get them to do literally the easiest thing ever. And then you use that as basically a, a, uh, maybe don't say it's like really, really easy, but, but use that as like the benchmark of like where everybody's at. Mm-hmm. And then you can gradually make, you can gradually add in other activities that are slightly harder, slightly harder, slightly mm-hmm. harder. And then maybe like, there's like a kid or two who are like really good at all everything then you can provide them like more individually with like mm-hmm. challenges yeah um yeah but yeah it's like it's it's better to start down here and build up than to start up here and then and like realize this is way too hard and then have to backtrack although just make sure you do backtrack if you do that you know like you don't yeah. want to just like all right well this is just the challenge you're just trying this challenge and you're going to fail mm-hmm. it repeatedly yeah but I, I think with um, this is kind of like just something separate is, is uh, with, with the misbehavior, that's what I found yeah. to be like number one is usually a kid is actually struggling with whatever the lesson is. It's embarrassing for them. They're yeah. going to tell, they're going to, they're going to express that it's the opposite of that. And it's tricky because. With a kid, you need to identify that really early too. Like this, like the timing is so. I mean, for coaching in general, cueing and just catching things, timing is is crucial. But um, particularly with that sort of behavior, because I found when I catch it late, and it's like, oh, I, how do I navigate this now? Because I'm not going to get this kid to admit that <laughs> this thing is too hard, right? And so we have to we have to shift and depending on the situation, you know, figure something else out. But it's also like true for uh, for adults too. Um, you can have adults that don't want to necessarily misbehaving. Well, not misbehave, <laughs> but like clearly having a bad time or, or yeah. like being avoidant, you yeah. know, yeah. and not wanting to to tell you what's up. And uh, a lot of times, it's because it's it's too hard. And, and you know, there's almost like a, a trust that gets lost there too, yeah. where like, oh, coach set me up to fail, you know? Yeah. And so I don't want to do the, the thing anymore and I'm having a, having a bad time. Right. And it's tricky because like you have to be, and that's, and that's where, um, you know, I, I think I've found actually a lot more, uh, uh, 
I was going to say, I still enjoy it, but like, you know, <laughs> found ways not to get bored is actually when, um, when I can really identify and try to solve those problems where it's like, oh, okay, this person's struggling. How do I approach this like the, the, the right way? Because people don't often want to be pointed out like, hey, you're sucking. <laughs> you know, no one wants to, no one wants to feel that way. Right. And especially the kid who's misbehaving. Right. It's like, oh, I know why you're misbehaving. Cause you can't do this right now. Yeah. Um, so like navigating that has been, um, like a really interesting challenge for me in the last like couple years. Yeah. I feel like, so I have I, I, a couple strategies for this is like, is Try to avoid this scenario altogether by starting easier, like underestimate the students, mm -hmm. right? And then from there you can layer on challenge on top of that until and until you kind of like find optimal challenge points for everybody, or at least close enough. Um, and then if that's if you are you find yourself that you in are in a situation where it is already too hard for somebody, then it's a it's don't like call them out in front of the group, but like pull them aside and see if you can get them to do a different activity, like change the task for them. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good strategy because then it's like, um, uh, uh, it's like, oh, I had an idea, like, hey, here, I want you to try this and, you know, make it like a really exciting alternative instead of like, oh, you, that's not working for you. That's too hard. Come over here. I'll show you something easier. Instead of framing it that way, just be mm -hmm. like, "Hey, I want you to try something. I have an idea," and you know, and then see if that you know. Hopefully that, hopefully you picked something that was easy enough for them to do net for the second time instead of having two failed <laughs> attempts at at hard things. Um, so those are I, those are the strategies that I would use in the in that context. But you're totally mm -hmm. right. Is people will act out, or at least kids will. Are, are likely to act out when they can't do something. Um, uh, and it's because they're potentially embarrassed of, of the, the social implications of it. So they're just, they're, oh, well, hey, isn't it funny if I do this? <laughs> you know, <they're> like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this thing that's way harder yeah. over here. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's actually like, oh, I can't. I remember actually, um, one time identifying with a kid where, um, and I, I think this is where it actually really struck me that it was an issue because I, I think he was, uh, we had some precision beams out and he was striding them, but I wanted plyos. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you feet together, feet together. And then he just, I can't. He just looked at me and said, I can't. And that was like, oh. Yeah. Is this the whole, you were... You were goofing around on the last thing we were doing too. You were doing it incorrectly. Like, okay, I every single it was time illuminating. with you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it's like now I know. There's actually the there was a he was he was doing a different thing because he felt more confident doing mm -hmm. that than the the strategy that you were trying to get him to do. Mm -hmm. um, that's and that's interesting, and that's a difficult word to deal with, right? When kid when kids I, I like just figure out or not figure out if when kids um, come up with the idea that, oh, well, I can't. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, how do you get around the I can't? How do you get around that word? Because they've already come to terms in their own mind that, no, 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 this is not possible for me. So, yeah. 
Um, do you have any thoughts around that? Um, around the quitting? I don't know. It almost like it depends like on the situation. Because I can't even, the, the story I just told you is so long ago that I can't, I just remember it distinctly because it was a light bulb moment for me of, of why this kid was misbehaving. Mm. But I, yeah, I can't remember how I got him to actually do plows in that scenario other than, other than some of the things that you've already kind of brought up, which is just changing the, changing the activity and, and breaking it down yep. so that it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of mental trickery. Where, because because yeah. with kids especially, like if they have it in their head, like I can't, and then also they might have some pushback on doing something easier that's related to this. So so I find like you have to do a bit of like a bit of mental trickery to change the movement, but make them believe that it has nothing to do with the movement. <laughs> you were trying to do at times yeah um <laughs> but yeah i mean it literally just changed the task mm -hmm. for them but sell it to them mm -hmm. <laughs> right that's the other side of it is you have mm -hmm. to sell it to them so that they they feel like this isn't i'm not being pulled aside because i'm underperforming i'm being pulled aside because coach tom has something cool to show me you know, and th that's like an opportunity to grow. And it's also an opportunity to get better. And it's like, oh, actually, now I'm starting to feel confident in doing the other activity. So, yeah. Or the yeah. original one. Yeah, I'm actually struggling to come up in my, with, in my head the last time I had to deal with a someone like really, uh, I, I, I'm going to say a kid, because it happens with adults actually more. <laughs> The, the I can't do this or whatever, yeah. and that, you know, the, it's easier to reason with. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> an adult and, and try to, and they're more, uh, they're, they're more happy to, to try alternatives. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Whereas yeah. kids don't want to try the, the easier thing, right? But I'm, I'm struggling actually in my head to come up with a, a recent scenario where, where I had to face that. Um, so that's why it just comes back to like, I guess it depends for me on what the thing they, are claiming they can't do is yeah yeah that's true but, yeah. but i don't know if you have any any like recent no actually i don't have any recent like i can't so I actually, surprisingly mm -hmm. um and maybe i have but it's kind of like gotten to the point where it's it's natural for me to just when i see kids struggling or even not participating it's mm -hmm. just it's an automatic response now i pull them aside and like get them to do a different activity because because number one goal for me for for students is to is time on task mm. if they're doing the task that means they're probably enjoying it so enjoyment is embedded in it if they're um if they're doing the task that means they're probably working towards improving it or going or just going to eventually improve it by just sheer number of attempts mm -hmm. um and so if they're not on task they're potentially disrupting the class in other ways. So removing other people from being on task. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the number one thing I try to like address is, or, or they're waiting in a line, right? Lineups, I can't stand seeing lineups. Like a lineup yeah. of like eight kids mm -hmm. in line and it's the only activity. It's like. Well, this is something early on um, I remember when I, began coaching alongside you that um 
that you had brought up was like the concept of of lines. Yeah. And it was like something that we try to cut down on. Like yeah. From we've been doing that for we've been we've been shortening lines for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> if you have yeah, if you have a really big lineup of of kids, they're more likely to start acting out because mm. there's time that they're not engaged in a task. Yeah. So they're going to start touching each other, or pushing each other, or chatting or talking over you because you're trying to give an explanation. How about instead you just offer a secondary task or a tertiary, a third task that they can, they can interact with while they're waiting for the line mm -hmm. so that you shorten the line as much as possible. And preferably basically no lines, mm -hmm. right? If, if possible, where it's just like, oh, okay, I can just try this infinite number of times on my own without having to wait for somebody else to go. Um, so that's number one thing for me is, is keep them engaged in a task. And so if I do see somebody sitting out or starting to act out and not be on task, I have to address that immediately. And so it might be an I can't, it mm. might be uh, just like they just start acting out because they can't they don't they feel like they can't or it might just be because it's boring it's, it's the opposite right it's too easy oh well i'm just gonna sit down because i already did it <laughs> and it's like oh you already did it hey here's a way to increase the challenge on the same task or here's a here's a different task that's going to be increased challenge it's going to keep you more engaged and maybe keep you on task right so time on task is huge because I mean, it might just be because they're tired. In that case, it's like, cool, rest. That's okay. Yeah. But in the case that it's not, I'm tired, it's, mm -hmm. there's, it, there's something, uh, there's some other problem. There's a, a problem in the efficiency of your class that you can mm -hmm. fix. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of the way I like to approach it. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot we could get into on the topic of, because uh, it's been asked a couple of times too, with uh, approach to coaching and things like that. Today, I just wanted to kind of get into like a bit of the progression with coaching kids, but um, we have been recording for a minute here, and I think we have yeah. to cut this one down so we can uh, go get after some games. But once again, uh, thank you for tuning in to uh, this episode of STS. If you have any comments or questions about uh, things that we should be talking about in future episodes, please drop us a comment below. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and we'll see you next week.